hear these words from Jesus when he was riding into Jerusalem and then he started preaching and teaching to the people that had been noticing there was something really different about him. He said, I have come into the world as a light so that if you will listen to me and follow me, no one, no one has to stay in darkness. And they listened to him and they felt those words penetrate their very beings. There is something different about that Hosanna and that King. Because when we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, all our fears are washed away. Because when we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, all our fears are washed away. Washed away. Hosanna. was with the Reynolds Group in California, and that's this uh, clergy group that I belong to, and they take us to different churches across the United States. Some are Methodist, some are not Methodist, and they are dynamic, growing churches, and we have the opportunity to sit and listen to the pastors of these large churches in one-on-one settings with like the 30 pastors from our annual conference. It's a really, it's a cool privilege to be in that group, and I was excited to be invited to join. Last year, we went to California and LA, and we had the privilege of listening to Gene Apple, who is the pastor there, who was the pastor of Willow Creek for a while. And he was such a dynamic speaker. And he was talking about the podcast that his church did and that had his messages. So I thought I would do like that guy on the uh, video. And I wanted to look up his podcast as we were sitting there listening to him. I tend to multitask, apparently not very well. And so I pulled up his podcast. And so here's this famous preacher, you know, he's up there talking to us. And then all of a sudden he hears the podcast from whoever other famous preacher I had been listening to come out in the room. And I think it was probably one like, you know, preachers sometimes have competitors, Life Church TV, Craig Rochelle. I had been listening to him. And so all of a sudden Gene Apple hears Craig Rochelle in his uh, seminar to us and it was on my phone and I could not figure out how to turn the volume on my phone off. Apparently 
apparently I got addled. And so my clergy friends at my table turned around and said, stop it. You know, this is embarrassing. And of course, I had turned 20 shades of red, which just made it worse. I was so embarrassed by the time it was over. And that is just a long-winded story of telling you that I don't care if you text or whatever you do in worship with your friends. If you're telling them how great and uh, meaningful your church is, you are welcome to have your cell phones out. And we do invite you to invite somebody to Easter worship next Sunday. We will be here at 10 a.m. Faith United Methodist is having a sunrise service. If you would like to go to that, uh, we will be here at 10 a.m. And we will make Easter non-threatening and hopefully meaningful at the same time. We recognize that on Easter, it's the one time a year that people that have doubts and questions might be more prone to come to worship. And as every Sunday here, we welcome questions and we acknowledge that we don't all have to be at the same place in scripture to come together and explore those questions together. So that's what you can expect next Sunday. I do hope you will invite your friends to worship with you. And now this morning, the next part of our service, I want us to talk for just a few minutes about what it means to win. Now, let's be honest. How many of you pulled for Gonzaga on Monday night? Will you clap? Oh, no, I don't. Let's not, you know, not boo. How many of you pulled for Carolina <laughs> on Monday night? And how many of you did not care? <laughs> so here's my, here's my next question. How many of you really had not heard of Gonzaga before this season? We clap. So a lot of you had heard of them, but this year, I mean, uh, and I understand they did well in the tournament last year, right? Okay, good. Thank you. I was having some anxiety about my NCAA knowledge. Uh, everybody wants to get behind a winner. No one really enjoys being behind a losing team. A couple of thousand years ago, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, it's really important for us to understand what happened that day and then in the days throughout the week ahead that culminated on Thursday evening, Holy Thursday, Monday, Thursday, as we call it, and then on Friday with the crucifixion, and then, of course, next Sunday with the resurrection. But it's really important to understand the political and governmental dynamics that were going on that day in Jerusalem. So, you know, we have in our Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have stories and we have the pictures of Jesus as he journeyed for those three, three plus, a few months, years with the people that chose to follow him. We start out and his first message says, repent and believe the gospel. The gospel meaning the good news. So he wanted everybody to repent and believe the good news and repent. We've given that word such a bad, a bad rap over the years and we tie it to the sin and all this kind of stuff. We need to understand what repent and sin means. Repent means to turn, to turn. It's really pretty simple. Turn away from the things that are getting in your life of you experiencing the oneness with God. That's what sin is, that which comes in between us and God. 
Not a bunch of rules and regulations, but it, it's about you and it's about me. What comes in between us and that divine love and that divine energy, that's what sin is. So Jesus starts his public ministry with these words, repent. For the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So often in life, we spend our life trying to worry about what's yet to come or what, what's going to happen when we die. Jesus was trying to say, look, it's right here. It's right now. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is yet to come, of course, but it's also right here, right now. God is not some far away deity that you cannot have a part of. God is not, you know, behind this veiled curtain like the Wizard of Oz. God is, is in you. Let me show you God. That's what Jesus wanted them to understand. So he's like, turn, turn away from this myriad of gods that you've been worshiping and, and just worship, worship God with me, worship God through me. Let me show you that darkness is penetrated by the light. And so for three years, he gives them this picture of what life with God is like. And as you heard Ed Landis so eloquently share in the video, it really does just boil down to one thing, love. So for three years, he showed them what it looked like to love other people. He showed them that you could love people that others scorned, like the woman that came to the well. And he revealed himself to her. He showed them that, you know, the woman that they were getting ready to stone because she had had an affair. He told them, you know, okay, you all, those of you who have never messed up in life at all, you, you throw the first stone. Here she is. And when they heard him say that, they realized, you know, wait a minute, I've messed up. So ultimately, they all walked away. And the message that he said to her then was, okay, you can go now. Just, you know, turn Turn towards God and turn towards love. He broke the rules. He taught us that religion is, is not an institution and an organization and a bunch of wrongs that we have to make sure we don't do and a bunch of rights that we have to make sure we do follow. He taught us that religion, that God is something that lies within each of us. And he said, I am, the same words that God revealed to Moses back in, in the ancient days, the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, when God said, I am, that I am, Jesus said, I am, I am the way, I am truth, and I am life. If you will just follow me, if you will abide in me, and I will abide in you, I will never leave you alone, I'll never leave you orphaned. And so all these lessons had been building up on each other. And then that day, that day, everybody wanted to follow a winner. And so on that triumphant ride into Jerusalem, one thing we need to remember that gets us through the rest of Holy Week and gets us to Friday is that there was not just one king riding into town that day. There were two. There was an east procession and then there was a west procession there was one that was a powerful ruler and then there was one that was a humble servant they were riding into town at the same time one was Pontius Pilate the Roman governor the one who made and enforced the rules and then there was Jesus 
Now think about it. This crowd had been following him. And the more they heard of him and, and the lives that he had changed, the more people that followed him. I will confess, I called Gonzaga Gorgonzola for the first couple of you know, weeks when I would see their name. And then people would say, it's not Gorgonzola, that's a cheese. And I would have to study it so I could finally say it and sound reasonably intelligent to you. Gonzaga. You know, the more they won, the more I paid attention well, that's what had happened to Jesus. The more lives that he changed, the more people started to follow him. So on that day, they lined the streets of Jerusalem, and, and they were so excited. Because I want, you, I want to show you on the screen what had happened to the Israelite and Hebrew people for thousands of years. Look at these names up here. They had been defeated by the Egyptians, by the Arabs, by the Philistines, by the Ethiopians, by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, by the Persians, and by the Macedonians. The Israelite people, the Hebrew people, every time they could get their ducks back in a row and feel safe and protected them one of those groups would destroy them again. They were oppressed. They had been oppressed. That's what all the prophets that we find in the ancient Hebrew scriptures, they're trying to give them hope and remind them that even in the darkest of times, you are never, ever, ever alone. No matter who is persecuting you, who's destroying you, you're not alone. And then Jesus showed up. And he shows up and he says, you know, look, this kingdom, this kingdom of God, it's right here. It's right now. You can be a part of it. And they heard that and they bought into it. And they followed him and they worshiped God through him. And then that day when he rode into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey on the other side of town was this other king riding in. And, and his kingdom looked a lot like what the Hebrew people thought Jesus' kingdom needed to look like. The Jewish people, they thought Jesus should reign like Pilate and like all the other kings that had ruled for so long. And then that last week... It just changed everything. All these lessons and things that he had been doing up until then, they all came to a culmination. We find that Jesus gets angry for the first time that we see in Scripture, and he turns over tables in the, in the temple. Years ago at Williamson's Chapel, they wanted to have a bookstore in, in the sanctuary right outside in, in one of the new rooms down the hallway. And people got so angry. They're like, you cannot have a bookstore in the sanctuary. This is God's sacred space. Jesus said, but actually, no, no, no. Jesus did not turn over the tables in the temple because they were selling things. They needed to sell things. They were selling the sacrificial animals for them to worship and celebrate the Passover. What Jesus turned over the tables about was that they were price gouging the Jewish people. And he was angry. And so he turned over the tables and he said, don't you take advantage of those that are not having enough you know, because the whole point was to have an animal that was without blemish. You wanted a perfect animal to sacrifice to God. And Jesus is like, don't, don't use your platform to hurt other people. And so he turned over the tables. And then it just progressed downward from there. But that day in Jerusalem, everybody wanted to follow the winning team. They wanted to be on the winning team. And then over the days ahead, they realized that the way that you win 
was not the way that they had anticipated. Frank Martin, the coach of the South Carolina Gamecock men, he said, you know, the impact that these gentlemen have made in our community, it is, it is so outstanding. It is so much more than the score at the end of the game. For Jesus, it was not about a score at the end of the game. His score was defined differently. As the Father has loved me, this is what he's telling the people when he's gathered together at the latter part of the week in that upper room when they are getting ready to celebrate the feast of the Passover. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and I remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that my joy and your joy will be made complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. And he called them and he called us friends. In just a few minutes, we're gonna come to the table. That night when he gathered around the, the Passover table, he told them a message that he wanted them to hold on to. He knew, he knew that the next day was coming. He knew that he had ticked off enough people that by this time, they were ready to kill him. So he gave them this message that said, if you'll abide in me and you'll abide in my love, it's going to make you complete. And that love's going to hold you always. And even when I'm not here with you anymore, the advocate, the Holy Spirit will be. And so he took the bread and he took the cup and he gave thanks to God for it. And he said, I want you to take this and I want you to eat of this and give thanks to God. And every time you do this, I want you to do this in remembrance of me and, and all the things that I've taught you. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks to God for it. And he told them, you know, look, this and the way that he described this was so different. Remember, they were getting ready to sacrifice animals for the feast of the Passover. And he said, this, when you drink of this after you thank God for this, this is my blood that is poured out for you and for all. And it's poured out for you for forgiveness of your sins, for those times that you forget to follow in the way of love. This is for you. This, my body, my blood, it's, it's broken for you and poured out for you. So today, a couple of thousand years later, we have the awesome privilege on this Palm Sunday to come to these, these communion tables. And as we take this bread and we dip it into the cup, we have a privilege of remembering how big and how deep that love is for us. The communion table is as wide as Christ's arms were outstretched on that cross. It is wide for each and every one of us. There is nothing that any of us can do that separates us from the love of God. So as we prepare to come to this table, know that Jesus loves you. And know that the worst things, the darkest things, are never 
the last things because he gave us that promise. Let us pray. Gracious God, will you pour out your spirit on this bread and on this cup, both for us here in person at Lake Norman and also for all of those worshiping online with us this morning, God. Uh, Pour out your spirit on the sacraments of communion. Make it be for us your body. And let us remember the sacrifice of the blood that was shed to remind us that it is about sacrificial living that helps us totally be at one with you. It's not about us. It is about you. And you are love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As the worship team stays here and we prepare for the final part of our service, there's one thing that I want us to remember as we leave today. First of all, invite us to leave in silence. This is a a sacred moment and we remember that at the end of the week, Jesus, the body and the blood, it was taken by selfishness and greed, all the human things that we hold within ourselves. Bishop Will Williman, a professor at Duke, a former bishop in the United Methodist Church, teaches theology at Duke, Duke, Duke University. And for the final exam, they got one of those blue books, and he said, I want you to explain the four Gospels. You know, that would take up a lot of a blue book. One student wrote this. In the Bible, it gets dark. And then it gets darker. And then Jesus shows up. And Willeman said that was probably one of the most profound answers he'd ever read. It gets dark, and then it gets darker, and then Jesus shows up. Willeman said he would have just added two more words for us. Jesus shows up for us. And what he did on the cross that day so many, many years ago was for each of us to show us what it means to truly live. So as you leave this morning... Just like we celebrated the sacrament of communion a few minutes ago, we have some gentlemen that are going to come and and hold the crosses in place, and then we invite you to come, because we're all part of this, and take the nail and remember Remember that the love that he showed us that day on those crosses is a truly sacrificial love, and it is for each and every one of us. May we go in embracing the darkness of the upcoming days.